You are Locked On Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome to the Locked On Zags podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, moving over from the ScoreZag Score podcast and taking over here at Locked On. First of all, I want to thank you all for making this podcast your first listen of the day. Whether you are a new listener to the show, new to my content specifically, or coming over from my previous show, this is just a reminder to please follow and subscribe to this podcast wherever you already get podcasts and to look out for an upcoming YouTube channel, which will start in the next few weeks for folks who want to not only hear what I have to offer the Gonzaga community, but want to see it as well. All right, today is a big day. It is my first official Mailbag Monday episode as the host here at Locked On Zags. Obviously, many of you came over and were following me at ScoreZag Score. I did locked or excuse me, I did mailbag episodes there for a very long time. This is the first one officially with Locked On Zags, and it is going to be a doozy. Just this past week, Anthony Black was in the house along with the rabid Gonzaga student section for the first time in years. Literal years for craziness in the kennel. Mark Few's suspension was made official. Courtney Vandersloot is two wins away from her first WNBA championship. Dominic Harris is about to have surgery on his foot. And we are going to answer listener-submitted questions all episode long. This is a reminder for most of you, but for any new listeners, if you want to get involved in Mailbag Monday, there are three ways to do so. You can tweet at me at ScoreZagScore or at LockedOnZags whenever you are thinking of a question. I will write it up and I will get it into that Monday show. I will also reach out on Twitter Sunday morning soliciting questions. You can respond to that tweet and I will make sure to get it in the show as well. I also take questions on both Facebook and Instagram, which you can find currently by searching ScoreZagScore. Those names may change eventually. But if you find them now and follow them, you will continue to get updates on Locked on Zags going forward. And you can email me as well at andypatton 13 at gmail.com if you have a longer question you'd like to flesh out or more thoughts you want to share alongside your question. I promise I will still get them into the show. All right. Not a ton of questions this week, but you guys did a good job. I don't think you all coordinated. I doubt it anyway, but the questions were all broken up in a pretty convenient way for me to break this thing out into three sections. This first segment is questions about Mark Few. And the first question comes from Mike Curtis at Upper95215 on Twitter, who asks, if the season starts with a couple more tune-up games before a big game like Texas, is Coach Mark Few suspended longer? Is it actually punishment if he is only missing the first three Cupcake games, or is it more just symbolic? Do you think his punishment should have been more severe? Yeah, so this is kind of the big question. This is the big topic that's been going around Gonzaga land for the last few days, really kind of over the last month or so since Mark Few was initially arrested for a DUI on September 6th, Labor Day weekend. He was arrested, charged with DUI. He's pleading not guilty. The facts are pretty damning, if we're being honest. He was caught swerving, driving over the speed limit. Somebody noticed the car, called it in. The police found him. He had bloodshot eyes. He was slurring his words. He refused a field sobriety test, got brought in, blew, I believe, a .112 or a .119. I actually can't remember which one it was, but it started with .11, which is very bad. .08 is the legal limit. So it took a month for Gonzaga to, to nail down a suspension. We'll talk about that. Or, yeah, We'll talk about that a little bit later in this segment. But in terms of the severity of the punishment, to answer the first question, 
I don't think Gonzaga would have gone more than three actual games. Technically, they only went one game. This reads like a one-game suspension, which I think looks pretty weak. It looks like not a very big suspension. He did miss craziness in the kennel. It's not clear whether he was suspended for craziness in the kennel or if he voluntarily chose not to go. I think it's kind of semantics. It doesn't really matter, but he is going to be suspended for the first two exhibition games against Eastern Oregon and Lewis Clark State and then suspended for the Dixie State game, this actual season opener. And then we'll be back for Gonzaga's second official game of the season, which will be hosting Texas, number five ranked Texas Longhorns in Spokane. So yes, I think there's a chance if Gonzaga had more cupcake games at the beginning of the schedule, which they usually do. They don't usually play such a high-profile opponent in the second game of the year. This is unusual for Gonzaga. If they had more of those gimme games, I do think his suspension would have been longer. I also think, as a lot of other people do, that Gonzaga probably shoehorned a second exhibition game in there in part so they could suspend Mark Few for that game. Now, I'm not trying to be super... accuse them of this really big scheme to do this necessarily. I don't know that it was that malicious of intent. They may have done it in part because they didn't get a scrimmage, a closed-door scrimmage against a high-quality opponent, which is something they've gotten in the past in lieu of having a second exhibition game. So maybe there's multiple factors at play here. It does look a little suspicious. It's one of those things that you kind of just accept that that's the, the way that it is. I do think that him only missing three really, really easy victory games for Gonzaga and only one that counts is is not very severe. It's a pretty it's a pretty weak punishment. Like I don't think that that's that controversial to say. Some people maybe think that he only deserves a weak punishment and that that's fine. Some people may think that he deserved a bigger punishment. But I don't think there's any way to argue that this isn't a weak punishment. <laughs> it is. He's being suspended for games that two of them that don't count and one that will not be like anybody could coach that game to victory. And that's not to say that Mark Few doesn't have a hard job or that Brian Michelson won't do a good job as he is taking over as the interim head coach while Mark Few is out. But it's that the talent's going to win that game. It doesn't it doesn't matter. Dixie State is not a good Division one basketball program. The other two games don't count. It's a pretty it's a it's a non impactful punishment. It's really non impactful in the way that it doesn't impact Gonzaga at all. It doesn't impact the Zags at all. How it impacts Mark Few, I don't know. He probably is still bummed. He's not on the sideline. I think, frankly, the biggest punishment here is him not getting to be a craziness. That's a bigger punishment. And he doesn't get, he doesn't care about coaching this game. Like he never he never has. He doesn't coach it. He doesn't he doesn't really spend time coaching the game. It's just a scrimmage. It's for the fans. It's just for these guys to show off and be athletic and have a lot of fun. And so that aspect of it is not what Mark Few misses. But I bet I bet he's bummed that he wasn't in there in the stadium the first time the students were back. The first time we played Zombie Nation in a long time, at least with with fans in attendance. The first time that they showed the intro video. The first time some of these guys ever stepped foot on that field or on that court in front of a crowd. And not just the freshmen. This is the first time Ben Gregg and Julian Strother and a lot, I mean, even Andrew Nemhard in a Gonzaga uniform. This is the first time those dudes stepped onto the court with a fan base and Mark Few wasn't there. That's a, that's actually a kind of a decent punishment. I still would argue that it's not, his overall punishment probably was not severe enough. But I do think that have him missing craziness, again, whether it was sanctioned by the university or whether it was his choice or whether it was quote unquote his choice, but kind of nudged by the university that, hey, the optics wouldn't be very good if you were here. So you should not go kind of thing, which is that's kind of what I think that it was. But and then also he wasn't there for Anthony Black. I suspect that that's probably something that Anthony Black was aware of ahead of time. 
Some people have questioned whether that would impact his recruiting. It's hard to know. I don't know Anthony Black personally. I do not know whether this is the kind of thing that will scare him away or not. I suspect it probably won't make a significant impact on his decision, but I mean, it would have been nice if Mark Few was there. I imagine he would have wanted to be there to see this, to see Anthony, to talk to him in person, to see how he reacted to the game, all of that stuff. So missing craziness was a bit of a punishment. Missing the other three games is a virtual non-punishment. It's more symbolic than anything. It's more the coaching or it's more the university just trying to do something for the sake of doing something. I don't think it's egregiously bad. There are some people who are very upset and think that this is... He should have been punished significantly more than this. I'm not sure I fall into that camp, but I think that this is definitely light. All right, second question on the same topic. This one comes from Christian via Gmail. He says, is there a precedent for discipline in this case? It is easy to second-guess decisions from the passenger seat, but was the discipline given in a timely fashion? A month essentially passed before the suspension was announced. Yeah, so two kind of a two-parter here. Uh, the precedent really is the Josh Perkins case. That's kind of it. Josh Perkins was hit with the two-game suspension. One was an exhibition game. One was a season opener. So a similar suspension to what Mark Few faced. Josh Perkins was arrested for being drunk, sleeping in a car. He was charged with a DUI, but he was sleeping in the car. What Mark Few did is more dangerous than what Josh Perkins did. That's not to say Josh Perkins should not have been punished. I don't. I, I understand why he got punished. He made a dumb mistake. He acknowledged it. He learned from it. He grew from it, et cetera, et cetera. Not something that I think should permanently damage his reputation. Or I, frankly, I kind of, I kind of hate that he is being dragged into this whole thing. It's a bummer that five years ago he made a dumb mistake, and now a lot of people in the Gonzaga community are talking about his dumb mistake because of what happened with Coach Few. I genuinely feel bad for Josh Perkins because he probably thought that people completely forgot about this, and a lot of people did. A lot of people are learning about this for the first time, and that is a bummer. It's a bummer for Josh Perkins, but he made a mistake. However, his mistake was a lot less dangerous than Mark Few's mistake. Mark Few was not only driving drunk, it is important to remember, and I said this in the first part, but I'll say it again, he was spotted driving erratically. He was not driving safely. That is not to say, and I want to be extremely clear here, that is not to say that it is okay to drive drunk if you can do it while appearing normal. Some people can. Some people can, can drive with a point two blood alcohol content and stay in the lines and do it. That does not mean that you should. That does not mean that it is not any less illegal. But the point of the matter is that Mark Few was driving erratically. He was driving in a manner that could have injured somebody. There is no possible way to debate that because somebody saw him and thought that person looks like they're driving drunk and called the police and the police identified him as driving drunk and speeding. There is no possible way to argue that that is not dangerous. So, is there precedent for discipline in this case? Yes. Did Gonzaga give a bigger punishment than they did last time? Yes. Is it and bigger enough, I guess, is the way to ask the question? I don't know. I don't think so. I said that in the first section. I don't I really want to rehash the same exact points again. But when you look at what happened to Josh Perkins and what he did versus what Mark Few did, I think that Mark Few's situation is more than one game worse. More, Excuse me, more than one exhibition game more severe, especially when you consider the other factors. Mark Few is a leader. He is an employee of the university. He's not a student athlete, so on and so forth. All these things that I think should be taken into serious consideration when levying punishment for something like this. To answer the second question, yeah, it took a month. Um, I don't I don't know how I feel about this. I'm going to be completely honest. I don't have a super strong opinion. 
It would have been nice to maybe see something come down a little bit sooner, especially because during that month, Gonzaga added that extra exhibition game, which I said is extremely fishy, and it's hard to debate that. It's hard to say with certainty that, oh, they, there's no way they did it because of that, because they knew. They knew that Mark View had gotten arrested for driving drunk. They knew that that had already happened when they added this exhibition game. It's impossible to think that they didn't do it with that at least somewhere in their brain. It's impossible. There's no way that that wasn't at least a factor at the time. So it took a month. They announced it the day of craziness in the kennel, which, you know, makes sense. It was the first time that there was assembled media for Gonzaga events. It was the first time that Gonzaga was really back in the news for any capacity. They were on TV. So it kind of made sense to do it that day. Would it have been nice to see it sooner? I guess it's not. It doesn't bother me all that much. The only really impact that it has is the fact that they were able to sneak in that exhibition game. Final question on Mark Few, and I hope that this topic goes away. I know that it won't, and that's okay. If you guys have more questions about it, don't feel like you can't ask them. I'm happy to talk about it, but happy is maybe the relative term. Nobody wants to talk about Mark Few and the DUI. We want to talk about the team, which is what we're going to get to in the second and the third segment of this show. But for now, we're going to talk a little bit more about Mark Few. This is also from Christian via Gmail. He says, I heard on a national podcast, he IDs them as I on college basketball. They ask the question, will this tarnish Gonzaga's squeaky clean image? In this world, no one has a squeaky clean anything. We all have dirt on our mistakes under our fingernails. How do we come to terms with this and move on? So yeah, I agree, Christian, 100%. I also, I think there could be a much longer conversation about Gonzaga's squeaky clean image because I think that that is an interesting dynamic. I, I agree that Gonzaga is viewed as having the squeaky clean image. And I think more so Mark Few is viewed as having a squeaky clean image and more so more granular than that. Really, what I think this means is that they haven't had a lot of recruiting violations. That is honestly what I think that this means, because when you think about programs that have not squeaky clean images, sure, sometimes you think about teams that have had multiple like players get arrested or, uh, you know, a lot of players who've had discipline issues in general, uh, things like that. But I think a lot of times when you think about programs and their clean versus dirty images, you reputations, you think about recruiting violations. And Gonzaga is squeaky clean in that regard. They do not have a lot of recruiting violations, really virtually none. The very, very few problems that they've ever had on the recruiting trail, very few violations, very few compliance issues, very few suspensions and things like that as well. But I think part of it is that people haven't been paying attention to Gonzaga for all that long. For example, Theo Davis and Josh Heitfeld got suspended for mushrooms. That is a pretty big deal. That's a big thing that happened. College basketball players were taking mushrooms. (laughs) That's a big story. But it was at a time, it was before Gonzaga was really nationally known. It was kind of at this weird period. It was after Adam Morrison and Dan Dickow and Blake Stepp. It was before Kelly Olynyk and Kevin Pangos and Kyle Wiltshire and obviously before the very recent surges and success that they've had with Jalen Suggs last year and multiple number one rating teams in the 16-17 team that went to the national championship. It was this kind of weird gap period. Teams that were led by Jeremy Pargo and J.P. Batista and kind of after the Roni Turioff era, Micah Downs, that kind of team, good teams, fun teams, but not teams that had a ton of success or a lot of notoriety. Gonzaga wasn't at their peak in terms of attention at the time. So the Josh Heitfeld, Theo Davis story didn't make the kind of news that it would if something like that happened at Gonzaga now. So I kind of think that their overall squeaky clean image is maybe smoke and mirrors more so. Not to say that Gonzaga is secretly dirty. They're obviously not. But I do think that a lot of the times that they have had image issues, particularly with 
player discipline issues. It just hasn't gone particularly noticed. And because they don't have a lot of recruiting violations, ostensibly because Tommy Lloyd and Mark Few and their staff are really, really good at their jobs and really good at recruiting and can do it without resorting to any of those things that some other programs do that get them in a lot of trouble. It has led Gonzaga to have this squeaky clean image. In terms of actually answering your question, since that was a little bit of a ramble, how do we come to terms with this? It's going to be different for everybody. There are people out there, people who are listening to this podcast, people who are Gonzaga fans who are not listening to this podcast, who have been very, very seriously impacted by drunk driving in a way that I personally have not. Uh, I know people who have driven drunk. I know people who have been arrested for DUI. I've heard some scary stories secondhand. I don't really know anybody who's had a serious injury or death in their family because of drunk driving. But there are a lot of you out there who have. And a lot of those people out there are going to have a much harder time with this story. And I think that's a really important thing for people who are listening to this to remember. There are a lot of you out there who are listening to this who are probably tired of hearing me talk about Mark Few, and I understand that, are tired of the media talking about this story, are maybe even lashing out at reporters for talking about this story. I've seen that happen as well. And I think it's really important to remember that there are somebody next to you, somebody on Twitter who you've interacted with, somebody at a game next to you, a friend of yours who has knows somebody who's died from drunk driving. And when they read the story of Mark Few speeding and swerving and driving erratically, it scared the shit out of them. I'm not supposed to swear on this podcast. It took me five episodes to get there. Apologize for that. But that's what that's the reality. That's the case is it scared them because they've seen this story. They've gotten that phone call. They've dealt with this before. And so for people like that, I don't think that you have to move on from this. I don't think you have to come to terms with this. You can stay mad. You can be frustrated. I hope that you don't give up your Gonzaga fandom. Obviously, uh, I wouldn't like that. And I think that that would be sad for you if somebody as if you're a Gonzaga fan and you don't want to have to resort to that. But I don't think that people are should be forced to move on from this if you don't want to. If it's a, if it's a t- topic or a subject that is difficult for you, something that you have experienced, this is something you can be mad about for a long time. For others, because of fortune in their life most of the time, you can maybe move on from this a little bit easier. You can forgive him. And I and I do think Mark Few probably deserves to be forgiven in the sense that he will hopefully learn from this. He has released statements. His second statement was considerably better than his first statement, which came out a day or two after the incident that I thought was kind of a crappy statement, if we're being honest. But his second statement was better. He showed more accountability. He seems to be prepared to move on from this and learn from his mistakes and hopefully own up to it uh, more so with his team and his family and the Gonzaga community at large. And I think that it will go away. People will stop talking about this. The larger media might bring it up every once in a while. You know, people still sometimes bring it up with Coach Huggins and other people who have had this happen to him. But I think as long as there aren't any more incidents, it will go away. And so for a lot of Gonzaga fans, they will then move on from it kind of when when it stops becoming a recurring story, which will be soon. After the Texas game, it probably won't come up too many more times throughout the season. That's my belief, at least having been around many media cycles uh, for Gonzaga and for other teams. It kind of just goes away. But I think there's a subset of Gonzaga fans who may never get over this. And I think it's important for other people to remember that when talking about this instance and talking about this situation and maybe coming to Mark Few's defense in ways that might uh, upset other people who have a, a more difficult relationship with DUI in general. 
All right, that is a wrap on a rather depressing first segment of this episode. I apologize for that. Coming up, though, we're going to answer even more listener-submitted questions like we're going to do all episode long and all season long on Mondays. But before we get there, I want to tell you about today's sponsor, Prize Picks. Prize Picks is daily fantasy made easy. I love this, and I know that you will too. Price Picks is a leader in college sports daily fantasy. They offer more college football props than anyone in the world and offer all the star players from not only the Power 5 schools, but your favorite mid-major players as well. I know that's appealing for those Gonzaga fans out there. New users that deposit and use the promo code LOCKEDON will receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. Price Picks allows mixed sport entries, so you can take the over on Chet Holmgren combined with the under on Patrick Mahomes in the same entry. Use the award-winning app on both the App Store and Google Play. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less. It's that easy. Don't hesitate. Check out prizepicks.com and use promo code LOCKEDON or go to your App Store and download the app today. PrizePicks is daily fantasy made easy. All right, ran a little long. Segment one there, so segment two, we're going to get right into it. This next set of questions all come from one-third of the Zag Talk podcast crew, Brian Mary at BMaryZag on Twitter, who asked, Who is the MVP of craziness in the kennel? Who or what surprised you? And what's your projected starting lineup after seeing everyone on the floor together? Yes, craziness happened. It was difficult to watch the stream. I know many of you struggled with that, myself included, because SWX was having issues. It was a bummer. It is what it is. Hopefully most of you got to watch it or at least read recaps of the game. See the highlights on Twitter. There was a lot of highlights from the dunk contest. Super, super fun to watch. I tweeted quite a few of them at Score if you want to check that out. Anyway, getting to the question. MVP of the craziness in the kennel for me, Julian Strother. 11 points, 5 rebounds. It's hard to... I don't know. It's hard to crown an MVP because it wasn't a very competitive game. Strother had the most points. 11 points, that is kind of a, a big factor there in a game that ended 28 to 28, having 11 points, pretty good. Uh, he, he looked great. He looked really fluid. He was, looked hyper-athletic, not just in the dunk contest where he obviously looked awesome, but he looked very athletic during the game, and he just looked comfortable. I think Mark View and his staff really stress this sophomore leap, this jump that guys take between their first year and their second year. We've seen it a lot recently with big men. Obviously, Drew Timmy is the latest example of that and the the growth that he had from his freshman year where he was already very good to last year where he was a superstar. We saw it with DeMontis Sabonis. We saw it with Philip Petrusev. We've seen it with lots and lots of players in Gonzaga uniforms. I think we're going to see it with Julian. And it's Julian didn't play very much his freshman year, so it's going to be a bit more of a kind of meteoric jump because we didn't see him play that much last year because they had a guy named Corey Kispert who played the three for 34 minutes a night. And they just have so much dang depth on this team that it's... It was hard for him to crack a role last year, but that doesn't mean he's not good. It doesn't mean he disappointed. It doesn't mean that he wasn't the player that Gonzaga thought they were getting when they recruited him when he scored like a million points a game in Las Vegas as a high school senior. It just means that he wasn't, it wasn't his turn. And I think this year it could be his turn. We'll talk about that a little bit more when we talk about the starting lineup and the factors and all of that stuff. But Julian looked great in this game. There's a lot of people out there, I believe Brian is counts himself included in this group, who think Julian is a big X-factor on this team next year. I don't know if I would say he's the X-factor, because the X-factor is, for me, it's Anton Watson, but 
Julian is going to have a significant impact on this team next year. And because he plays a position that doesn't have a ton of depth, the three is kind of a weird spot on Gonzaga's roster this year because they're going to play a lot of three-guard lineups because Chet and Anton could both, in theory, play the three but are also probably more fours. It kind of leaves Julian alone on an island at the three spot. And how he performs and how many minutes he gets is a huge storyline for this year. Surprise of the game. I think the answer has to be Ben Gregg. I think you could maybe say Caden Perry. He looked at excellent. Caden Perry surprised me because he I thought he would be a little bit more... Uh, maybe not as physically ready because of the back injury that he suffered last year. He clearly looked ready to go. He blocked Drew Timmy at the rim. He had looked really good in the dunk contest. I don't think there's any doubt that he is healthy. So I guess that would be a surprise. But in terms of performance on the court, I guess you say Ben Gregg. Again, it's weird. Ben Gregg was a top 30 prospect by some of the um, the recruiting ranking services. So top 30 in the country. Uh, and he's good. Like, that shouldn't be a surprise. <laughs> that shouldn't be a surprising story. But he looked so fluid. He had a great outside shot, obviously, knocked down the game-tying three that ended the game in a tie. I think he's going to really challenge for playing time this year. And I talked about that in the first episode of this podcast that I have done. Uh, it was a player preview on Ben Gregg. You can go check it out there. I listed some of the best-case scenarios for him, which included being the third big behind Chet and, Ant- or, excuse me, behind Chet and Drew Timmy, of course. And I think that's realistic. Again, I don't think Anton Watson will not play. I don't think Caden Perry will not play. But I think there's a realistic scenario where Ben Gregg's playing 15, 18 minutes per night. And this game, for those people who maybe didn't believe me or who hadn't seen a lot of him or just weren't really aware of who he was because he didn't play a ton last year and he only joined the team halfway through the year, Ben Gregg is really good. And he's going to be good this year. And he's going to play. And he's going to have a role. And I think he's going to really challenge opposing defenses because of his outside shooting, because of his athleticism, because of his physicality. I think he's going to be a, a load. I think he's going to be a dude that's going to do a lot of good stuff for Gonzaga this year. Finally, starting lineup. Here's my starting lineup. Drew Timmy, Chet Holmgren, Julian Strother, Hunter Salas, Andrew Nembhard. That is who I have as my starting five right now. That is who I had as my starting five right after the season. I have not changed that starting five. In my mind, three of those spots are locked. That is, of course, Drew Timmy. That is, of course, Andrew Nempard. And that is, of course, Chet Holmgren. Those three spots are locked. There is no debate in my mind that those three guys are starting. From there, the other two spots, there's a lot of guesswork. There's a lot of guesswork. Names that could reasonably start there. Hunter Salas, who I believe will start. Julian Strother, who I, of course, believe will start. Nolan Hickman, another top-tier freshman. Anton Watson, guy who started parts of both of the last two seasons. Like, that's a lot of dudes. Rasir Bolton, graduate transfer, dude who started most of his collegiate career. All those guys. And if Dominic Harris wasn't hurt, he would be right in that mix too. There's a ton of depth, a ton of dudes who who could start. I think the the pos- positionally, and, and basketball's borderline positionless at this point, and Chet Holmgren really makes this Gonzaga team almost completely positionless. But Mark Few has generally at least tried to ascribe to keeping guys at their more general positions. And for me, looking at this roster, Hunter Salas strikes me as a two, especially playing alongside Andrew Nembhard, whereas I think Nolan Hickman's more of a backup one. He's a backup to Nembhard. Bolton could be a two as well, so I think that spot is kind of between Bolton and Salas, especially with Harris out. But I think Hunter's going to take it. He's got unreal athleticism, who's super highly rated guy. And lately, Mark Few has really liked bringing those grad transfers off the bench. That's something they've done a ton of. Obviously, they did it with 
Aaron Cook last year. They did it with Admon Gilder the year before that. So I kind of think he fits that role as like the third guard, the guy coming off the bench. And then again, Strother is kind of the only three on the roster. I don't think they start Anton Watson alongside Chet and Drew because I think they like him to be able to come in for both of those guys. Again, it kind of depends on what they what role they envision for Ben Gregg as well. So for me, I think it's Strother right there. I don't think it matters all that much. I think Gonzaga is going to rotate a, nine guys pretty consistently throughout the lineup. But if I had to guess right now, I'm sticking with my starting lineup. Chet, Drew, Hunter, Julian, and Andrew Nampard. Next question comes from DadRisk at DadRisk on Twitter who asks, Who's going to shoot consistently from deep on this team, and are you concerned about it? I have this nightmare scenario in my mind of every team the Zags play packing in a zone. So yeah, so this topic is a little bit more important with the news that Dominic Harris is out indefinitely and is having surgery on Wednesday for a broken bone in his foot. It sounds like Dom's going to miss a significant amount of time. I I don't want to guess a specific timetable for him because I don't know, but we can safely assume he's not going to be around for a bit. And Dom's probably one of the best peer shooters on this team. Now, moving off from him, Nolan Hickman looks like a dude who can shoot. He looks really, really smooth. And Andrew Nembhard looked really improved at craziness. Now, craziness is shooting three-pointers without defense. So (laughs) we don't want to put too much stock in that. But, and I talked about this in the Andrew Nembhard player profile as well, how he re- how he responds as a three-point shooter this year now with a little bit more focus on him because Jalen Suggs is gone and because Joel Eiei is gone. How he looks as a three-point shooter is a significant part of this team's identity next year. If he looks like a below-average three-point shooter again, if he's a 32 to 33% three-point shooter, that does make things a little bit tougher. Bolton, not an outside shooter. It's just not a part of his game. Hunter Salas, at this point, not conclusively an outside shooter. Don't know if he will be or not, but not counting on it right now. Hickman, I think, will be a good three-point shooter. I think he's a bench guard. I don't think he's going to be in the starting lineup. So that makes it a little bit tricky to rely on him as being one of the three-point specialists if he's not playing significant minutes. So then it comes down to two guys in my mind, Chet Holmgren and Julian Strother. Chet's going to shoot threes. He's going to shoot a lot of threes, and he's going to knock them down. He is a good, 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 good outside shooter. That's what makes him so special. That's what made him the number one recruit in the country. That's what makes him a most likely top five pick in the draft next year, barring something catastrophic, is he's seven feet tall. He can put the ball on the ground. He can shoot in the mid-range, and he can shoot it from outside. He can also block shots like nobody's business, which is why he's crazy insane, but he is a outside shooter. And Julian is a straight-up bucket. He is an absolute bucket getter, and I believe that he will light it up from downtown. In terms of packing in a zone... I kind of want to see teams try this against Gonzaga. I don't think it's going to work all that well because there's a soft spot in the zone and there is nobody that Gonzaga has ever had on their roster that will be more lethal in that soft spot than Chet Holmgren. I think he would it would be a mistake to let him get the ball in the soft spot of the zone. If he's getting the ball in the soft spot and Drew's down low or Anton Watson's running the baseline, which is something he's shown he's good at in his first two years, I don't think they're guardable. If, if Julian or Nolan are on the perimeter as well, That's a really tough team to guard. Overall, yes, experienced three-point shooting is an issue on this team. I'm not going to pretend that it's not. I'm not going to pretend that I'm completely ignoring it and that it's not an issue at all, but I'm not overly concerned about it because Julian, I think, is going to be good, because Chet is already so good, because I think Nemhard has taken some improvements in that area. I think Gonzaga is going to surprise some people with their ability to knock it down from outside. And I think if teams try to pack in a zone, I think they're going to run into a lot of issues trying to handle both Drew and Chet down low. 
All right, two segments down. Coming up, we're going to be answering just a few more listener-submitted questions. But before we get there, I want to tell you all about Built Bar. Built Bar is the best-tasting protein bar ever, plain and simple. It's a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Built Bar has nine delicious flavors, including some all-time favorites like raspberry, mint brownie, peanut butter brownie, coconut, and my personal favorite, salted caramel. Of course, Built Bar is not only great tasting, they are healthy too. Most Built Bar flavors have 17 grams of protein, 130 calories, and only 4 grams of sugar. Nine amazing flavors, all tasty and all healthy. Go to BuiltBar.com now and use the promo code LOCKED15 and you'll get 15% off your first order. That's BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your first order. All right, segment three, a couple more questions, both of them coming from my friend Christian via Gmail, both about Gonzaga's schedule. We'll get right into it, this first question. What record will the Zags have at the end of the non-conference schedule? I'd like to go a step further with this and ask if there are certain development or chemistry benchmarks you would rather see reached in the non-conference schedule rather than a particular record. At this point, the bar is, so, is set so unrealistically high that we might be asking for perfection too soon. I'm wondering if peaking at the right time might be an interesting topic to discuss. So first question, 13-1. 13-1 is my pick for how this team does in the non-conference slate. If I had to pick a t- game that I think they would lose, it would be the Duke game, mostly because it's on the tail end of a rigorous week in Las Vegas. They'll face Central Michigan on Monday, UCLA on Tuesday, and then Duke on Friday. That is tough. That's tough to do. So I don't think Duke is a better team than Gonzaga. I do not think there is a team in the country that plays college basketball that is better than Gonzaga. But as we know, the best team does not win every single game, even if Gonzaga wins darn near most of them as they do. I do think that that Duke game is going to be particularly tough. I also think Texas, super early in the season, first game with Coach Few coaching, even though it's at home. That's a tough game. Texas has a lot of dudes. They have a lot of athleticism. They have a lot of experience. Gonzaga's going to play a lot of freshmen. Most likely, at least one freshman will start in Chet Holmgren. Most likely, two freshmen will start in Hunter Salas. Nolan Hickman's going to play a big role. Julian Strother, he's not a freshman, but he's going to play a big role. He doesn't have a ton of experience. It's just, it's going to be an interesting gelling period for Gonzaga. And I don't know that they're going to be fully gelled in time for that Texas game. Now, they'll have played three games which is significant, even if two of them are exhibition games. But I think that's a tough game. I don't think they lose it, but, and I don't, realistically, I think I'll pick them to beat Duke, most likely, depending on how the team is health-wise and just how Duke looks early in the season. But I don't know that they go completely undefeated in the non-conference slate. And if I had to pick an actual game that I think they'd lose, I'd probably lean Duke and then lean Texas second. Of course, that UCLA game is tough as well. It's going to be a tough, tough non-conference slate. I'm happy that they put together a tough line of games for them to play, but I don't think it means that they go undefeated through them. Uh, as for the second question about peaking, obviously the best time to peak is right at the start of the NCAA tournament. Unquestionably, that is the best time to peak. Gonzaga rarely peaks at that time. And frankly, their conference slate is part of the reason why. I don't like when people make that argument because people have used it to weaponize, have weaponized it against Gonzaga for decades, literal decades. And I think that it generally falls flat and that the average fan doesn't appreciate Gonzaga as well as they should because they just assume that they only win because they play bad teams. And that is not true. We all know that. But I do think that it makes it hard for Gonzaga to peak at the right time. 
And I think it's because it's hard to peak when you're not being challenged. And Gonzaga is rarely being challenged in conference. Now they get challenged in the Vegas and sometimes they lose in Vegas or they lose right before Vegas. And it has led to them peaking at the right time before. The most notable time is the 16-17 season when they went to the national championship game. They lost that game to Duke. It was senior night. Really tough loss. They rebounded from that. They kicked butt through the Vegas tournament, and then they went into the NCAA tournament. They had a little bit of trouble with Northwestern, as many people will remember, but they won that game. They rolled through Xavier. They rolled them their way all the way into the national championship game and were winning with six minutes to go. So you, they can peak at the right time. It is possible. That's the best-case scenario for when this team peaks. Will they peak at that time? I have no idea. With a lot of freshmen, it stands to reason it might take them a little bit of time to peak. Hopefully that's when they hit their stride and they can kind of cruise through it in the NCAA tournament. But it's it's obviously impossible to know at this time. Final question of the show, another one from Christian. He says, I'm sure you'll do this in an upcoming episode, but can you talk about these five games, Texas, UCLA, Duke, Alabama, and Texas Tech? Yes, I will take on a full scheduling episode right before the season starts. So hold on to your hat. We will talk about it then, but I will still answer the rest of this question. Christian goes on. Texas will be the highest ranked team to play at Gonzaga. Is that the big one? My level of excitement for these games is ranked Duke, UCLA, Texas, Alabama, Texas Tech. What is yours? Yeah, Texas is huge. It's a huge game. Number five ranked team in the country in Spokane playing at the kennel. So much fun. The students are back. The environment is going to be through the freaking roof. It's going to be a blast. It's going to be a really, really big blast. However, it's hard not to be so excited about Duke and UCLA, not just because they're titans, because they're blue bloods, because they are they have this incredible history, but because of their history with Gonzaga, because of it's a rematch from that Zion-Brandon-Clark game in 2018, a phenomenal game between Duke and Gonzaga because it's a rematch of the greatest, one of the greatest college basketball games ever played last year's final four matchup between Johnny Juzang and Utah. And of course, Jalen Suggs and his heroic shot in overtime. That was an incredible game and getting those two teams to play against each other again, especially with UCLA's roster remaining largely intact is going to be a blast for me. Hard for me not to have the same list. Duke, UCLA, Texas, Alabama, Texas Tech. That was your order, Christian. I think that's probably my order too, even if Texas is the highest rated team out of that group. The only thing I might change, I might move Alabama up. And the main reason for that is because it is two days after my father's 60th birthday and we are planning to go. We're going to get tickets. We're going to go to battle in Seattle. We're going to watch this game. It's going to be so much fun. I'm so, so excited. Alabama's great. It's going to be a fun, fun game. It probably doesn't stack up to Duke, UCLA, Texas. It's not Alabama's football team. It's their basketball team, obviously. But I'm absolutely pumped for that game, and I hope to see a lot of you at that contest. All right, that is going to do it for me today. Tune back in later this week as we continue our 21-22 player preview series. If you missed any of them, check back in your feed. We've covered Ben Gregg, Andrew Nemhart, Anton Watson and Martinez Arlauskas so far. And for this week, we're going to touch on a true freshman, a player that many believe will be this team's X factor. And of course, the potential national player of the year right here on the Locked on Zags podcast available wherever you get your podcasts and soon to be available on YouTube. Another reminder, podcast links will also be available on Twitter at Locked on Zags and on my own Twitter account, which can be found at ScoreZagsScore. Thank you all for listening and go Zags. Betting on the Zags doesn't have to be a guessing game if you listen to the new Locked on Bets podcast, hosted by your boy Q and handicapping expert Lee Sterling. 
Get daily picks, blowout specials, wrong team favored picks, and Lee Sterling's lock of the day. Follow the Locked On Bets podcast brought to you by betonline.ag wherever you get your podcasts.